keep missing something, all right? Okay, we got to sing it until we do it right, all right? Be content on the verse again. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Let me to the end. Now, a couple of things to pass on to you. We'll do that at 1045. In the meantime, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I have been focusing in January about things of the family, uh, things about men, women, uh, a lot of different issues, but I am just right now still focusing on principle and then sprinkle with some details and some some gore details now at 1045 i'll be covering a subject that uh, is really not good for kids to hear it's really not good to be spoken in church but sometimes it's just necessary i'll cover that at 1045 and i have a solution about this serious problem that people have it's been going on for many decades not just here in hawaii but all over the world and it's a multi-billion dollar industry and so i'll cover that today without going into the, the sewer. Don't want to do that in church. Don't want to do that anywhere. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, speaking about things that are done in secret. Don't need to go too far to get the, the truth of a matter. So I'll cover that at 1045. And today, this morning, I'm continuing actually. So John chapter eight, verse number 44. Now you may know the reference already, but let's pray first. Father, we thank you for letting us be in church. Thank you for good health. Thank you, Father, for uh, faithful people. We pray for those who are on the way. We pray for those who are absent for uh, legitimate reasons. We pray for those who are absent for illegitimate reasons. We pray for people that you'd encourage them, uh, raise them to good health, be with those who are getting over sicknesses. But we pray that you help us to have a blessing today and bless your word. We thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. We thank you for giving us the Bible. We ask you, Lord, to meet with us today in all of our services, in all of our classes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 8, verse number 44, reference that is well-known and famous. And Jesus says this, verse number 44. Ye are of your father, the devil. That's a good verse to win friends and influence people. Ye are of your father, the devil. We understand the context of what Jesus is saying. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Now, it continues by saying, He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. So, the Lord very plainly says that the devil, the spiritual being, the enemy of God and of Christians and of the church, he is a liar. Now, you and I do not like liars. We, we kind of, we really, the word is resent. We resent people who lie. This is why we have such a, can I use the word hatred for people who lie? You don't like people who lie to you in a business transaction. You don't like people who deceive you in a business transaction. You don't like people who are politicians and they lie. They say one thing, they make a promise, they get elected, and then they forget about you and your concern. They're there uh, for photo opportunities and other reasons. And they want to get into office, and you would hope that they want to get into office for the reason that they say they want to get into office. Promises are made, and then promises are sadly broken very commonly. And this is the, 
the reputation, the testimony of politicians in general. Now, thank God there are a few good politicians around. I know it's hard to find them. You have to use a microscope, telescope, or something to find them, but there are some good men around, good women around, just a few of them, concerning the number of people in politics, uh, locally and nationally. But the fact is we don't like people who lie. All right? Is that true? Do you like liars? Not even liars like liars. That's kind of a oxymoron, but uh, the devil's a liar, and he lies to the Christian, lies to the church, lies to people about a lot of things that cause a problem. He wants to murder, he wants to kill, he wants to steal, he wants to destroy. And this is the motivation of the devil being a liar. So you want to remember this as Christians. This whole month, we have some principles to stand on and some principles to go by to help us not only get through life, but, but really have a good life. Now, how many of you think that the Christian life is the best life to have? Okay, all right, you can say amen too. Uh, but it is true. I think, I, I've often thought, I wish I got saved sooner. And I've been saved a long time. You probably wish you got saved sooner. And then after you got saved, you grow, you grow, you grow a little bit, grow a little bit, a little bit, and then you say to them, boy, this is so good to be a Christian. Not to say there's no problems. To say that the Christian life is without problems is to really not be in a real world. You might be on Mars somewhere. But in the real world, it's great to be a Christian. The life of a Christian is great. Uh, you look back after so many you said, man, I wish I got saved sooner. Or thank God, all the things. If you try to list all the things he's done, count your blessings, name them one by one. You're going to say, the Lord's done some good things in my life. Small things and big things. Coming at the last minute. Um, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And you look back, you say, wow, this has been a great, we, we use the word journey. And it is a journey. It's a pilgrimage, and it's really good. And so you wish they got saved sooner. But you all know that the life of a Christian is a life sometimes of hills and valleys, deserts, deserts and storms. But the devil lies to us, and he tries to make our lives bitter and hard. He makes us want to go back into Egypt. He makes us wish for Egypt again. The devil's a liar. Remember that. And that's the baseline. That's the principle he is our enemy. He's like a dragon. He's like a serpent. He is like a roaring lion. And he is like a liar because he is a liar. And he lies to you. He lies to me into thinking wrong things. So the whole idea is to get us to think wrong things. And so here is a, here's a pretty innocent looking guy with a mustache. And this guy he thinks and his thinking as you know his thinking affects his action yes it's always true what you think what you think you eventually do and the thought that dominates your thinking will eventually lead you to do an action so this is kind of repetition now, but I'm going to reinforce the fact to you that the devil makes us think wrong. He makes us think wrong. And as I said, he makes us think wrong. Because I'm Chinese, I can say wrong. He makes us think he makes us think wrong about important things and small things. And so we want to counter that. And so there are some there are some lies he tells us as we have covered. But today I want you to know that we want to remember some truth. That'll help us not believe lies. The, the antidote for lies is the truth. Truth is what matters. Lies try to counter and it tries to destroy the truth that you know. Your Bible is your best friend. Your Bible is your go-to source book, go-to resource book, go-to manual to go through life how God wants you to go through life. But he wants to destroy your menu, destroy your foundation, and destroy your basis for having a life that's worth living. He lies to you. First of all, he lies to you about ownership. He lies to you about ownership. First Corinthians chapter six. These are principles that you find that if you go by them, you realize that your life is a good life and it can be even a better life. First Corinthians chapter six. And here's what else I've learned living a long time as a Christian. The longer you live as a Christian, the more you go back to the fundamental things of the Bible. 
you go back to the basic things of the Bible because that's what you stand on. And along the way, you learn a lot of detailed things, a lot of deep, meaty things, learn a lot of different things that you know you learn along the way. Uh, the things that you learn here, you couldn't bear here because you're too young and too mature. But as you grow along the way, you begin to get more, more canine teeth, you begin to be able to chew and tear things better, and you begin to digest things better. But you always go back to the basic things of life. Milk is always good for baking and cooking, isn't it? And butter, butter. There's a, I don't know her name, Paula Dean. I don't know if she's still on, but uh, we got introduced to Paula Dean by one of Miranda's friends, and she likes to cook this friend of hers. And uh, she, used, she used to watch Paula Dean a lot. She says, Paula Dean used a lot of butter in her recipes. And sometimes she just throws it in there. She doesn't even measure it. Have you ever seen Paula Dean? I have not seen Paula Dean too much. I just can't watch someone else bake and cook and you know, talk about how glorious this is. But I like the product, you know. I can smell it through the TV, the, the stuff that she bakes. She throws a lot of butter and stuff in there, and it just comes really great. Now, um, there are some ingredients that you want to have in your life that you don't want to go away from. And some of the basic things of baking and cooking, you're going to have those ingredients all the time. Always handy. Always in your refrigerator. Always have butter. Always have milk. And going back to some milky things here in the Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter chapter uh, 6 and verse number 20. All right, here's a principle that the devil wants to lie to you about. For you are bought with a price. Back up to verse 19. What? What? Paul is stunned. Don't you know what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? That's a pretty profound statement he gives right there, as far as your principle and the truth and the foundation that you stand on. He says that your body, your B-O-D-Y, your body. Now, if you would just do this, I'm, don't do it now, but if you just, this is your body, okay? Your, this carnal party, your flesh, your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and that's where the Holy Spirit lives. And it says, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Okay, there's a really funny phrase right there, you're not your own. We often say, this is my body. Uh, okay, we understand what that means in this context. This is my body. It's not your body. I know you folk, you wish you had my body. You men. Because my body's glorious. My body. Okay. Bad joke. Bad joke. Inappropriate joke. <laughs> You're not your own. Verse number 20. <laughs> You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body which and in your which are God's. And so the ownership factor, ownership, is your principle. Ownership. Who owns whom? Well, God owns you. Whereas you think you owe yourself. The lie that the devil tells people is that your body's your body. Now, this is very plain. Your body's your body. You've heard this for decades. A woman says, it's my choice. It's my choice. Oh. Something, something's going on with me. She gets a test. Oh, I'm pregnant. And she's not happy about that because she didn't plan to get pregnant. But she is. And now she wants to remove the problem because it's her body and this problem that she has, she doesn't want to hinder her and encumber her lifestyle. She's young and she's got a lot to do and she does not want any baggage. So she tells her boyfriend or whoever she tells, or if she does, and uh, she gets advice from people, organizations, Planned Parenthood. Yeah, you know, the solution is, lady, is to just quit, abort the baby. We can do that. We can recommend to you where to do it. I mean, really, it's just an easy process. It happens all the time. This is a common practice. Just abort the baby. Why do they talk like this? Why does she buy into that? Because she believes that her body is her body. She doesn't believe that she's not her own. And so... And that she's a Christian, especially. And so the devil lies about ownership, that we can do anything we want to with our bodies, our choice. And uh, truly, it is murder, isn't it? It's not just getting rid of some mass of some material. And so anybody, I am for anybody who is for protecting the unborn life. I'm for anybody who says after delivery, 
You know, leave that. It's a human. It's a life. It's a living person. Leave it alone. And so uh, I'm for people who are like that. And um, God is the true owner of everything. He's the owner of our being. We don't, we cannot really say, this is my body. This is my life. And so um, God deserves the glory of how our body is used and how we live. And he would not share his glory with anybody else. And when we take our bodies, which we think is our bodies 100%, as if we brought ourselves into this world, then we are really violating a, a, a Bible principle, a truth that God owns us, especially if we're born again. Right? Now, what would happen, what would happen if you took something that's not yours and you just used it? Uh, it's called theft. Did you, did you not lock your car when you drove to church today? Did you not beep beep and make sure that your car was locked? I hope you would because around this neighborhood, really around any neighborhood, Kahala, Hawaii, any upper middle class neighborhood, anywhere you go, the potential of theft is very real. There are people who know how to cut your catalytic converter off of your car in 10 seconds. You go out to dinner, your car is parked somewhere on the street, or you could be in a parking garage, and all of a sudden, your stuff is gone. Your cat is gone. It happens so quickly. And um, the potential is right there. How do you like if somebody takes what's not yours for their own benefit? Well, if you feel like anybody who is red-blooded and American or just Christian or alive, you'd be really totally, totally upset with that. And you ought to be. Um, I have possessions. You know, uh, it's funny how in our married life, I have bought my wife one piece of new furniture. Or is it two? I think, I, know, I remember one. I, brought, I bought her for an anniversary a, uh, what is it, chest of drawers? Brand new. I spent a lot of money on that thing. We've always had stuff that's been Craigslist, uh, recently Facebook Marketplace. We take furniture, we, we, we redo it, send it down. If there's real wood, we, the real wood, so we send them, redo whatever we do to it. Dining room tables, coffee tables, couch, everything. Most of our life has been like that. No complaints, just telling you, that's our possession. If someone came in and took that, we don't care too much. But if someone came and took that brand new thing that cost me a lot of money for my wife, I'd be real upset about that because that's my stuff I bought for my wife and somebody took it for themselves. Bunch of criminals, bunch of Democrats. No, I, uh, I didn't say that, did I? I didn't really say that. That just, that just came out by mistake. I apologize for that. I apologize to you watching, you know, but anyway, I'm saying we don't like people steal stuff from us because it's not theirs to steal. Um, I try to take care of my car and I don't let anybody drive my car. Now my son can drive my car, but uh, no stranger can drive my car. And we have respect. If he wants to use my car, he asks and I say, sure, help yourself. But he asks because it's not his. And if I drive his Camry, I ask him for permission because it's not mine. You get the idea that the devil tries to take something from you he robs your mind, perverts your mind to think that you are your own. Whereas God says, the truth says, you belong to God. And if you belong to God, if you're God's property, I guess the logical thing is you take care of God's property. Does that make sense? You take God's property. Now, I have some golf clubs in my garage. I didn't take care of them. Right now, they're all covered with the salt air. It's kind of corroded the, the finish on the clubs. And it does look brand new. I'm not sure how old these clubs are, but they've been sitting around. Uh, hardly use them, but uh, they're sitting there, got a cover on it sometime, and still the air gets to it. And it doesn't look shiny as it used to be when it's brand new. But it's mine. And if you came to my garage, just walk by and use that without asking me, I'd be very upset with you, you criminal, you thief, you no good, whatever you are, <laughs> because you're taking what's not yours, use it for yourself. This is also true. Let's, 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 let's just come down like that. I went down to the truth. Your body belongs to God. It is your body in the sense only of stewardship. Okay? In the sense of stewardship, your body is, your, is yours. You and you alone can take care of your physical body. And you should. Uh, it is very irresponsible to not take care of the physical body because God gave you that body to take care of for Him because he wants to be glorified through your body. And to do that, for him to do that, you must take care of your body. Okay, what am I talking about now? I'm talking about responsibility and common sense. I'm talking about people who regret at the end of their lives, oh, I wish I could have served the Lord a lot longer, a lot better. 
but I can't now because I am in the hospital, I'm in care, I, I, I can't walk on my own kind of thing. Well, I know things happen in life, and although sometimes the best that you do, you still end up in a condition where you wish you didn't end up in. But generally speaking, most American Christians, they don't take care of their bodies. They don't care, take care of the physical person, all right? Now, this, this is a kind of funny thing because people go to extremes. We take care of only the body, we ignore the spiritual part of us. That's wrong too. So we gotta come to the middle and say, I gotta take care of my spirit, my soul, I gotta take care of my body as well. And um, it, it's just one of those things we don't think about. I think behind it all, behind the bad thinking is that we think we should live our lives now to the fullest because you only go around once. That has been said in commercials back in the 60s. It's been ingrained in our minds that we have one life to live we've got to get the most out of this life because when we die, it's all over. Therefore, the thinking is, let's do everything we want to do to enjoy ourselves and just have pleasure and fun, excitement, do this, do that, because we only have one chance to do this. Okay, let's, let's take, keep everything in context. There's nothing wrong with enjoying this life. But something is wrong if we think this is my life, my body. That's where the problem comes in. That's where the lie comes in. And the devil tells you, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve, deserve. All this self-gratification. Now, speaking about that, there's a lot of things in life we are gratified in and it brings us a lot of pleasure. Isn't that true? I have a favorite dish. You do too. I love pizza. If it's the right kind of pizza. I recently liked thin crust pizza more than thick crust pizza. I recently found to enjoy that and the toppings, I have certain toppings. You getting hungry already? Pretend I didn't say anything about pizza. I enjoy a nice, cold, big 32 ounce chocolate shake or mocha. I like that. I like cold, I like cold milk with ice. I enjoy that. I like chocolate. It doesn't matter what kind of chocolate. Milk chocolate, dark chocolate. Chocolate, that's my middle initial. I love chocolate. I think it's healthy, I think it's good for me. I enjoy chocolate. Well, those things bring me pleasure. I like hitting a golf ball if it goes straight. If it doesn't go straight, I despise the game. I like throwing a frisbee, I like catching a frisbee. That brings a lot of pleasure. Those are the things I like, a beautiful sunset, all the stuff in there from the big island. We've had some really beautiful oranges sunsets. They're very nice, I enjoy that. I like the wide open spaces of, uh, of mainland traveling. I like to go on the freeway 80 miles an hour. I enjoy this kind of, it brings pleasure. I like sitting down doing nothing. It brings pleasure. I like seeing my enemies destroyed. That brings pleasure. You folks have no sense of humor. Amen. And um, I like uh, a nice warm bed. I do. I like that the car starts and runs as it's supposed to. The AC is working. I enjoy that. Now, all of that is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Do not get extreme and say, you're supposed to be a monk. You're supposed to not talk for three years. You're supposed to be so separate, so holy, because your body belongs to God, and you cannot enjoy anything in life. That's not true. Don't be extreme. But I do tell you this, that the Lord, lies, uh, the Lord, the Lord tells us the truth, that our bodies belong to God. Okay? That's the first thing he likes about that you are your own body. You can do what you want to do, and you don't have to account to anything to anybody for that. So that's the truth as opposed to life. Now, uh, we are to live to glorify God. Now, according to Galatians 1 24, turn over there with me. Galatians 1 and verse number 24. Attached very tightly to computer lingo, linked to our body belongs to God, ownership is this principle of God wants to be glorified with our lives. Galatians 1, 24. Paul ends this first chapter by saying this. And they, after he explains his conversion testimony, how the Lord taught him, verse 24, and they glorified God in me. All right, so that's a real important principle as well, attached to the principle of ownership they glorified God in me. Paul says, my, my testimony, 
brought praise and glory and honor to God, to Jesus Christ. Now, John 17, 10 says this. Listen, please. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Uh, you remember that the Lord wants to be glorified, and He deserves to be glorified. He deserves to get all the honor possible, and, and he, he wants it, and He deserves it. And we are to be His children that live to glorify Him. And so that is a real big function of our lives to glorify God. Now, how do we glorify God? I'll give you some things, some basic things here. Number one, we get to glorify God by John 15, 8. Come back with me to John 15, verse number 8. Let me try to hurry here through some of these references and get to what I really want to teach today. John chapter 15. John 15 and verse number 8. It's a good chapter to read sometime. 15 and verse number 8. He has mentioned several, in several verses preceding verse number 8 about bearing fruit. And then in verse number 8 he says this. Here is my Father glorified. Here's how my Father's glorified. That you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. So bearing fruit is one way for the Lord to be glorified. Now, there are degrees of bearing fruit and the number in which and the progression of bearing fruit. The fact is, when people get saved through our efforts, God is glorified. Now, he says much fruit, and that would be great if you see much fruit in your life as far as uh, results of your witnessing. The truth is this. In real life, around this world, there are different areas in which more people seem to get saved than other places in this world. That is true. Hawaii, mainland, mainland Hawaii. And there's a lot of differences there. But I'm saying, you should not think that you're not glorifying God because you're not bearing much fruit. Now, I'm thinking about my own self. I believe in witnessing. I believe you should do witnessing as well. I believe you should be uh, aggressive in that. But I also know this. Uh, you cannot save anybody. You cannot make them get saved. Now, you might, the Paul, Paul says, I persuade men. I persuade men. I urge them. But that means you have to have an opportunity to urge them. That means people have to listen to you. That means you have to have an audience, be it one or more than one. You have to have people sitting there listening to you. If they don't sit down listening to you um, and you feel guilty because you didn't win, if you set a quota for yourself, you might be setting yourself up for a lot of distress and grief and guilt if you set a quota for yourself. Now, uh, I was raised in the culture of the Jack House, ultra-aggressive soul winning, and we bought into all of that because we believe that the Bible tells about witnessing, there is a hell, there is a heaven. And all of that is still true. That is not discounted. It's still true. And we did everything that we were told to do by our cult leader in fundamentalism. And not saying, not saying that was wrong for us to have an emphasis on John Wright's prayer and soul winning, and then tiles on sowing. Uh, I'm not saying those are wrong emphasis because probably at the time in those decades, it was needed because there was something about getting very intellectual in Bible colleges and seminaries and getting all the everything right biblically, but not using it to give people the gospel. So it was probably needed in those in those years. And so, yet as we tried to witness and, and carry out the Great Commission, we got a lot of numbers. We got a lot of conversions supposedly. We got a lot of people to repeat a prayer after us, and yet we never saw them on Sunday. We did everything that the books told us to do. Uh, George Garfield's book about how to get them saved, how to get them to church. Every, every step by step, he outlined everything. Uh, Brother George is a good man. He's our friend. But uh, everything that he said to do, we tried to do, but the results are different from other places. All I'm simply explaining to you is this, that you do the best that you can, you be faithful to Christ, be a witness, get the tracks out, witness when God gives you opportunities, and keep praying and keep doing and keep being faithful. But you may not have that much fruit. Not having much fruit does not mean lie by the devil, you're worthless, you're good for nothing, you're out of God's will, you're a loser, you never be like so-and-so, you never have the ministry of all these kind of things, they're lies. You, you mother, you you have children to take care of. Uh, you better if you don't if you don't go out uh, six hours a week knocking on doors like the other ladies do, 
If you make your kids an excuse, you are a reprobate, you are a horrible Christian mother. Shame on you. You should not feel that way. You should not feel that way. People who have more time than others, they should take advantage of the time that they have. You know, Paul talks about, you know, guys who are not married, you're better off than people who are married for many reasons. <laughs> when you're married to your wife, you're done. That's my third attempt to get you to smile. It didn't work. He simply meant you have more opportunities to serve God in a moment's notice. You can do things without any obligations to your family, to your wife. That's what he's talking about. I don't know why people take that to the extreme and, and abandon their wives and kids to go serve God somewhere. Don't pay the rent, don't pay the bills, don't provide the food. They're just going to go witnessing 24-7. Crazy. But they want to bear much fruit to bring God glory. So we're going to have to keep things kind of like a little bit sane. Every one of us should be a witness for Christ if you're saved. Yes? Yes. You should do your best. Yes. Have tracks on you. Yes. But not everybody's going to take your track. I'm good. I'm good. Boy. To hear, I'm good. I can hear that, I'm good. You don't even know what I'm giving you, I'm good. People do that all the time. People don't have time, people don't have concern for their own soul. They don't believe a lot of things that you and I believe in, but you cannot make them believe anything. You can't grab them by the throat and say, you better believe or else. We've all done that in our zeal to bring people to Christ. But it doesn't really bring about genuine converts to Christ. So all I'm saying is that very much for the according to Jesus Christ is a way is a way to glorify Him. So souls want to Christ, number one. Number two. Number two. Uh, you may not like this one. You may not like this one. Well, I think you like this one. Number two. Starts with S. Serving Christ brings glory to God. Serving Christ brings glory to God. Number one. Souls want to Christ. Serving Christ. Look at the verse here please with me. Matthew chapter... Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16. And I, I see that I'm kind of running out of time for myself here. So let me just read the reference to you. But Matthew 5, verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Serving Christ. Serving Christ naturally means people see you serving Christ. You don't do it to be seen of men, but because you're serving Him, you're seen of men. I hope you understand this. You cannot, you cannot not get any attention when you serve the Lord. Now, many things are done behind the scenes in church that you don't see. That's one thing. But there are many things that are done that are public in the name of serving Christ. That's good. You can't help that. You can't help that. And so, when you are seen to serve the Lord, when your light shines before men, people see good works, it brings glory to your Father. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want? Sometimes people... They don't do service to the Lord because I don't want any attention. They do mean well. They're very sincere about that. But the truth is, when you serve the Lord in some capacity, you will get attention. And it's not because you want the attention. It's because you just come because you're doing something for the Lord. A baseball player has to go to the plate to get the bat. He cannot say, oh, my turn to bat. Oh, no. I don't want a bat. I don't want to swing the bat. Are people looking at me? I don't want ESPN cameras on me. Oh no, I don't want to bat. You have to go to bat. <coughs> and if you do well, you get more attention. But you're supposed to do well. You're supposed to try to get them to the base. Uh, today's another Sunday for football playoffs. Okay, but it's like excited about that. Maybe you are too. Okay, fine. When they play, they're playing before cameras and in, in, in a full stadium. You can't help but be noticed. The Christian life, when you serve the Lord, it brings glory to Him, and you just can't help but be noticed. Okay? All right. I don't know what's going on back there, but something's going on back there. Someone's getting spanking? You don't know? Should someone get a spanking? Perhaps. Don't know. All right. Focus over here, please. Focus over here. Focus over here. Number three. The, the third way. Uh, I know what it is. Do not let that scare you. Did not let that scare you. <clears throat> Number three, the third way to glorify the Lord because you are someone who is owned by Him. You're not like this one. Suffering for Christ. 
You glorify God by the souls you bring to Christ, by serving Christ, and then thirdly, by suffering for Christ. First Peter chapter 4, please. Let's turn to this one. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Verse number 12. This is an unpleasant way to bring glory to God. But it does. First Peter 4. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. So if you suffer for Jesus Christ's sake and for his name and for, for him, not because you're a bad person, but because you're living for him, then he says he is glorified. Keep reading verse number 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, verse 16, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now, you're learning two different important principles and truths there that the devil lied to you about. The devil lies and says to you, if you suffer, it's because God doesn't care for you. If you suffer, it's because you're in the wrong kind of religion. If you suffer, you see, it's because God is me. And all these kind of things that just tell, come to you and you feel like, you know what? I'm going to quit this thing. I'm going to abandon it. This is not what I bought, bargained for. This is not what I thought it was all about. I thought the Christian life was about happy, 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 money, 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 prosperity, 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 good health, good. I thought this is what the Christian life is all about. And come to find out you have trials, you have tribulation, you have hardships, you have problems, your tires get flat, someone breaks into your car, your wife gets mad at you, you get mad at your wife, the dogs are upset, the cat's upset, and uh, nothing is right in my life. You, you, your employer is mad at you, your coworkers are mad at you, no one likes you, your neighbors don't like you, everybody's fussing at one another. This is a horrible life because I'm a Christian. Wrong! He says, if you suffer as a Christian, praise God. Number two, if you suffer because you are the problem, don't praise God for that. If it's for your fault, then it's your fault. It's your doing. He says, don't be suffering because of that reason. A lot of inmates, a lot of inmates, they got saved when they were kids. Now they're in prison as adults. And a lot of them blame somebody else for their situation. Their sentence, they blame somebody else. It wasn't my fault. I was just there when they're doing the drug deal and all that. Okay, well, well, it wasn't me when they when they stopped me up coming out of Walmart. They stopped me. It, it, it wasn't my fault. Uh, that piece of candy just jumped into my pocket. No, it didn't. And so we cannot blame God and blame uh, others for the trouble that we get. And that's what he's talking about. But he says you're glorified. You're going to glorify God as a Christian. But suffer as a Christian. That's a totally different thing. And in this world, ladies and gentlemen, you know, even to this day, in 2023, in January, around this world, there are people suffering as Christians because they are Christians. Because they're Christians. And they are suffering unbelievable harassment and torture because they are Christians in some country that has no law, freedom, or religion. And... God is glorified. Don't ask me to explain. I'm just going to tell you. The Bible says, Peter says, God is glorified because we suffer for Christ. And so, uh, your speeding ticket, pain and fine, is not suffering. That's just stupidity. You getting suspended from work, that's not God's fault. It's because you want to go surfing instead. And you lie to your employer and says, I'm sick. Well, really, surf us up on the North Shore. You want to go watch, go see, or go surf. And uh, you were you were found to be lying. Suspended for three days without pay. I forfeit three days of pay because, because you don't believe me? Yeah, I don't believe you. This is your habit. Every time surf's up, every time surf's up, you call him sick. Oh, Lord, help me. The Lord says, you help yourself, dummy. You go to work like you're supposed to. Don't make excuses. You're not suffering because of my name, say. You're suffering because you're immature. You're a kid in the age of 30. You want to have fun. You're going to forfeit a good day's pay for your family because you want to go surfing. That's what he's talking about. I clicked on Amazon.com and guess what came up? I was searching for this and guess what came up? Amazon.com. Oh man, I got to get that. Really? 
and you get it. You get it. Put on your card. And then all of a sudden you realize, I gotta pay for this thing. <laughs> hey, your, your wife says, honey, um, I just got a notification uh, online uh, on my email that you, some, you somebody spent $700. I didn't spend $700. Did you spend $700? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. What'd you get? It says from Amazon. Oh, well, I had to have this. Why? I just had to. Because who knows what the reasons are? Who knows what you get? It's, the problem is, and the fact is, people do think it's their own selfish, stubborn, I gotta have it, will, and they blame God for the, the argument between husband and wife. They blame God because, okay, now they're short on this. Now they can't buy as many groceries as they are accustomed to because they gotta put, they can make up. And it's not all oh, this, Lord, help me, I'm suffering for Jesus. The Lord says, you're not suffering for Jesus, you're not suffering, you're suffering because you're an idiot. Now, pardon the plain talk, but you are an idiot if you think that that's suffering for Jesus. You know, um, you like new things? Who doesn't like new things? Okay, new things sometimes are good to have. New things are sometimes good. My wife and I, we've got pots and pans from, was it a wedding gift? We bought? We bought. How many years do you think it's been? Thirty? Uh, Almost thirty. Yeah. Thirty years. Stainless steel pots and pans still works. Do we need to get a new set of pots and pans because these are old? Well, we could justify it very easily, but it wouldn't be smart. And so we do this to ourselves. Now I'm not saying the devil's a part of that. No, I think it's just ourselves. I'm just trying to explain to you that sometimes you need to remember suffering is a way for God to be glorified if it is really suffering for him because we're doing the right thing living for him okay so be cautious about that uh, Hebrews 11 is the testimony don't go there about people who suffer for Jesus Christ and he uh, he was glorified because of them and so the trial of your faith according to chapter 1 of 1st Peter the trial of your faith it will redound to the glory of God if it is truly for um, living for him and serving him being right and then you get persecuted because of that trouble because of that and that is for the glory of God and so true true faith uh, being faithful to God when you have suffering that's a good blessing and the devil lies to you that he doesn't care for you remember that when you suffer don't ever think it's because of following Jesus Christ well in a way that is true but don't, don't think the second part of that. Don't think, you know, if I back up from following Christ, I'll get less suffering. Less, less harassment comes my way if I back off. Now, let me qualify that by saying this. There's, there's living for Christ is an everyday 24 seven way of living. And when you're on the job, it's a little bit different than when you're in your home, I think. It's a little bit different than when you're in church, I think. When you're in church, you're free to say, I mean, you're free to turn to the Bible. These things are easily uh, referred to. You can say that without any problem of someone reporting you. But on the job, nowadays, it's a little bit different, isn't it? I would advise you to be careful, cautious, be, be alert to this, your environment where you are. I'm not saying compromise your convictions as a Christian, but if the, the law of the office is no Christian symbols, no this, no that. It's up to you to do what you need to do or not do. It's up to you to comply or to break break what is the rule and face whatever consequence. Now sometimes, uh, you know, and the Lord has to lead people about that because uh, you cannot witness really on the job. You cannot take work time to be a Christian witness verbally. Now, if you have free time, that's another story. I'm just trying to say, have some sense about all of this. And don't be extreme about things. Um, sometimes you do more damage than good in the name of zealous serve, zealously serving the Lord. So take that in context of what I'm telling you. All right? Um, I've known of people who refuse to work on Sunday because they have a strong conviction about going to church. Okay? And then uh, they either got fired, demoted, or, or, or you know, blackboard or something else. Or they got their schedules changed. It happens like that as well. See? There are people in our church that have not gotten off church for months and even years because their boss will not relent, even though they they have the right to worship God. 
and they're supposed to accommodate that, but still they don't do that. Okay, well, they have a choice to do it, this Christian employee. So I'm just saying have some common sense and some balance about everything. Mm -hmm. You decide what God wants you to do about things. There's a time to fight. There's a time to just be quiet. Mm -hmm. There is. And uh, if you are in contact with someone all the time, you want to be sure that you don't cut off any kind of good relationship you're building with them because you are too, I'll use the word obnoxious and hard-headed, stubborn, or too aggressive. I'll use those terms, all right? Because people are suspicious of religious people and they think a Christian is religious. They have a lot of biases against the Christian. They're against this, against this, against this, against this, against this, against this. So they, they, you know, they just hold that against the Christian. Now, if you ever have a desire to win someone to Christ and it's a relationship that you have that's ongoing, you need to be thoughtful, considerate, prayerful, and also understand where they come from. Because if you want a real conversion where they really listen, listen to you and you want to bear some fruit and even much fruit, even with people that you know a lot, you're going to have, listen, let me, let me tell you something that sounds kind of heretical. Listen to this, please. This sounds heretical. They must do this. You see that? This is heresy to a lot of a lot of people. They say, well, they don't have to like me, they have to know the truth. That's true too. But would you would you like the truth? Would you receive the truth from someone you don't like? You get so turned up by people that offend you and you don't listen to them even though they got the truth. It could be because of the way they talk, it could be because of the way they look, it could be because of many factors, but they won't listen to the truth unless they seem to think that you're sincere and real. Does that make some sense to you? Okay, look, if it doesn't make sense to anybody, no matter where we are, the fact is, if people respect you, they think you're consistent, they think you're honest, they will listen more to you than someone who is dishonest. That's just practical living in this world. And biblically, in 2 Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Why? Because if you are always like a bull, going to tear everything apart, then uh, you might be totally right in your truth. But I will tell you something. That's frowned on, and that will not be respected. And how can you believe someone who you don't respect? So if I'm just thinking as a man, I'm thinking perhaps through experience and through some of the Bible, as far as keeping things in this context, your testimony makes a big difference. If your testimony is consistent, over a period of time, and that's how people see your consistency if it's over a period of time. If they respect you, if they like you, there's a there's a chance at least they will listen, and there's a chance at least, at least, at least, there's a chance. But if they despise you, but they have to respect you outwardly, no matter what truth you tell them, they're not gonna accept it. It's just another barrier that them puts up in that in their way that, that hinders them from believing the truth. I hope that has some sense, makes some sense to you. But um, I was, I was talking to someone, I don't know who it was. Oh, one of my neighbors, an elderly neighbor. We were talking about different neighborhoods, different homes, and one house is overgrown and so on. And she said this, she said, do you know, she said, and she, she does this, she said, Did you, do you know that years ago, some of us ladies, not the men she emphasized, some of us ladies, we approached this homeowner because the homeowner had blocked public access to the beach. Because the house is right there, there's a walkway to the beach, they put up a barrier because it's right next to the house, they felt they had the right. They approached the neighbor, the, new, the homeowner, said, no, no, this is public access, no, this is ours, you can't come in, they put up a gate. They went to court. It was very ugly. They went to litigate, it was very ugly. You know what's even worse? She she come up to me and she did this. She's a short lady. She says, and do you know who he was? I said, no. Who was he? Do you know who his son was? No. Who was his son? He was a minister. And that was the minister's son that gave us so much trouble. And all I could say was, that shouldn't have happened. Instead of being a good testimony, 
They were selfish, evil, cruel, disregarding their testimony. They just said, you know, this is how, and they, they totally lost any credibility and they made it difficult for other people who are ministers to have some credibility with her as well. Yeah, it's really bad. See? So you have to, you have to consider these things and the devil lies to us to think wrong about things. I am not through, but I have to stop. I have to stop. I want to tell you, no, I can't tell you this. I'll throw this out as a bone. The other principle the devil gets us to think wrong about is that we are to consider people's feelings. And the principle is 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Let me read it to you, and I will stop here. But take heed that any, by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. 1 Corinthians 8, the whole chapter is about eating meat offered to idols, buying the meat offering to someone who is offended by the fact that this is meat offered to idols, and you, don't, and you buy it, cook it from this guy, because you, and you know that he is offended by this, he's got a weak conscience, he's a weaker brother, you do it anyway. He says, don't do that. Don't offend this person unnecessarily. Don't invite to dinner and cook meat that, and oh, where'd you get this from? From the market, oh yeah, was that offered to Diana? Yes. Don't do that. Don't offend the brother who is weaker than you. You be the stronger, more mature Christian and not do something that you know is going to hurt somebody else's feelings. Yeah. I'll tell you. All right, so I'll stop there, all right? Everybody happy, everybody? Man, what are you? Let's take a short break. We'll be happy. There's coffee and some refreshments and all that. Come back at um, uh, 10 till 10, uh, 10, 10, 40.